The following is from East Delta Baptist Church. For more information, visit us online at www.eastdeltabc.com. If you would turn to 1 John chapter 2, and we'll be down in verse 28 to start off with. So 1 John chapter 2, starting down in verse 28. I'm not going to read that passage of Scripture, but we're going to be in uh, 28 all the way through chapter 3, verse 10 this morning. So if you want to read that during the opening here, then you... Uh, you feel free to do that. First John chapter two twenty eight through First John chapter three verse ten. And few things are are uh, are more difficult than uh, driving long distance with children. Y'all agree? <laughs> There's not many things harder than that. No matter how active the uh, books are, the games, the tapes you bring, what do you hear over and over? Are we nearly there? Are we there yet? Doug, do you remember uh, <laughs> Ashley? <laughs> uh, are we nearly there? Are we nearly there? <laughs> I think we went to uh, Tyler. Is that where we were going? Uh, Hot Hearts in Tyler. And uh, Ashley Rainey, was, I, she was a young little girl, probably in the sixth or seventh grade. And if she asked once, she asked a thousand times, are we nearly there? <laughs> are we nearly there? <laughs> and uh, I'm not sure, Charlotte, that she'd been on many trips up to that point. <laughs> and uh, we got to laughing about it. But, you know, uh, just think about that. If you're a parent, you've been in that situation. Are we nearly there? Are we there yet? Uh, there's the irritated response of, well, we're closer than we were last time you asked. And there's a... There's a threatening response. If you don't quit asking me, what? We're going to turn around and go back home. <laughs> now, don't say that because you know you're not going to turn around and go back home in most cases. There's a sneaky response my, my folks used was, uh, let's play the quiet game. Y'all ever do that? <laughs> and uh, oh, let's play the quiet game. And, uh, and first time, okay, oh, no, no, you got to be quiet. If you want to win, you got to be quiet. <laughs> So uh, that works. If uh, It works for a, a few miles anyway. Uh, yet no matter how you respond on long trips, uh, kids seem totally focused on the final destination. I mean, that's what they're really focused on, isn't it? Uh, whether it's Hot Hearts, whether it's Grandma's House, whether it's Six Flags, whatever it may be, a child asks the question, are we nearly there? Are we there yet? How much do we like? Because their main focus is on the final destination. Now, we would go to Colorado when I was young, and a lot of times we wouldn't have a final destination. Y'all ever been on vacations like that? You just start driving, and you don't know where you're going. And uh, so what my mother would do on those type of trips is she would try to engage you with all of the things that you could see. I mean... She'd say, look at those beautiful mountains over there, and look at those streams, and look at those flowers, and, and try to get you to enjoy the journey that you were on because you didn't really know your destination. Well, this morning, I want you to think about this. In some ways, that's not a bad thing. Matter of fact, in a lot of ways, that's not a bad thing, is to, to focus on your destiny because when you focus on your destiny, uh, you know where you're going. You know where the final place is going to be. So you have something, some landmarks you can, uh, you can follow, some mile marker signs that you can follow, and you know you're on a journey, and you know you have a destiny. Now, 
If you don't have a destiny, sometimes your journey lacks focus. In other words, there's no way to measure measure success on your journey, to measure, to measure progress on your journey. In other words, you're progressing along, but you don't really have a, have a destination, so there's no really way to measure where you are. So this morning, what I want to think about is this. I want to think about focusing on the final destination. And that's what John is doing here in chapter 2 and chapter 3 of 1 John. Is he is really calling his readers to focus on the final destination. And we may ask, and we covered this over the last couple of weeks, are we nearly there? Where are we at in this journey? And I can't answer those questions. I'm going to touch on that this morning. But, but we've been talking about recalculating our journey for the last several weeks. And we've talked about joy for the journey. We've talked about authenticity in the journey. We've talked about pleasing God in our journey. We've, talking about, we've talked about the hidden dangers <clears throat> that we faced on our journey. And we talked last week about spiritual betrayal on our journeys. And, and all of these messages assume the fact that you're on this journey. And if you're a born-again Christian, then you are on this journey. And like most destinations, like most journeys, there is a specific destination that we're headed to. And this is the place we're headed. And when this spiritual journey, uh, as followers of Christ, we need to understand what the final destination is. And that's what I want us to do this morning. The whole Bible teaches us that ultimately we're headed towards the end of history. All the Bible teaches that. That's where we're headed ultimately. And when we begin to look at this, I want you just to hear some numbers. When we think about the end times, some Bible scholars, now I didn't count this, uh, mentions that, says that the end of time is mentioned 1,845 times in the Old Testament. In the New Testament... For every one verse, the Bible talks about Christ's first coming, his birth. There's eight references to his second coming. (coughs) So you can see there, in the New Testament, Christ's second coming is mentioned more than 318 times. So well over 2,000 times in Scripture, there's a mention of Christ's second coming, his return our final destination, and Gallup uh, had a recent poll that said 62% of all Americans believe that Jesus Christ is going to come again at the end of history. Now, that's all Americans. That's not just Christians, but they say they believe that. So throughout the ages, people have believed that Jesus Christ is going to return. Throughout age, Let me give you some examples of that. Here's a quote. The last days are upon us which weigh carefully the times. Look for him above all time, eternal and invisible. Now, that that statement wasn't made by a modern-day prophecy expert. That wasn't made by some TV evangelist. It was made by a Christian named Ignatius who lived at 110 A.D. That's just a few decades after John wrote this letter. Here's another one. There is no doubt that the Antichrist has already been born, firmly established in his early years. He will, after reaching maturity, achieve supreme power. Now, that that statement wasn't made by no radio evangelist either. Uh, It was written by a Christian leader named Martin, who lived in 375 A.D. In the year 236 A.D., a church leader named Hippopolis, 
predicted that Christ would surely return by 500 A.D. Between 999 and 1030 A.D., there was uh, uh, that time characterized the, the return of Christ so much that many social chaoses, many different things happened, so much so that farmers didn't plant their crops the next year, buildings weren't repaired, the details of everyday life were neglected because they thought that Christ was going to return in their lifetime. There was no reason to carry on with any of their daily activities. In 1500, the Protestant reformer, Martin Luther, who we've talked about, this is what he said. This was in 1500 during the the Reformation of the church. We have reached the time of the white horse of the apocalypse. The world will not last any longer, any more than at least a hundred years. That was Martin Luther in 1500. In 1656, Christopher Columbus saw the, the explosion of the end time speculation so much that one pastor wrote in his journal, every time a storm hit, every time a storm came through, People would go to the church waiting on Christ's second coming. Now, that was in 1666. In the 1800s, a Christian named William Miller said this, I am fully convinced that somewhere between March the 21st, 1843, (coughs) and March the 21st, 1844, Christ is going to come. He put that out so much so that When those days came and went, hundreds of people walked away from the Christian faith, from his church, because they figured if their pastor was wrong about that, that he must be wrong about many different things. That's that's from years ago. But in our own generation, listen to some of these things. You may remember some of these. There were many experts that guessed 1981 would would mark the rapture of the church and the beginning of the tribulation period. Y'all remember the year 2000? Some of you do. The year 2000, many people were saying this is it. The year 2000, the, uh, the, the end of this time as we know it, the computers are all going to crash, the financial institutions are all going to crash. Uh, we're not going to be able to, to maneuver our, our, our planes. All the things that rely on the electrical systems are all going to go away. It's surely going to be the end of time. I think I went to bed that night and woke up the next morning, and I don't remember any change. You know, it, just, uh, it was just another day. Uh, most recent, recently, we've heard about the three blood moons that came along. Some preachers were claiming this is, this is marking the end of time. This is marking it. It, it. This is another step. Well, it may be another step. Christian historian Kyle Richards, he cautions us thus, Through 2,000 years of Western history, millions of sincere, devout, knowledgeable people have seen the end as about to happen in their own lifetimes, but they've all been wrong. You know, that's just the tip of the iceberg. If If we were really to sit here and think and study and remember, we can remember many times in our lifetimes that the word has gone out, this is it. I mean, the, the mining calendar, whoever they were, that's the, their, their calendar's ending. That's got to mean something. If we haven't learned anything from that history, I'm afraid we're doomed. If we haven't learned that the Bible's clear teaching that Jesus Christ is going to come again at some point, but we don't need to be focusing on that final day. 
If we've learned anything from all of those predictions, I hope we've learned that, that, that God's desire, he told his disciples, I'm the only one that knows when I'm returning. You don't need to worry about that day. Surely we've learned that over the, the time and over history, over the last 2,000 years, all of these failed speculations that we've seen. But how does knowing that final destination, or how does thinking about it, how does concentrating on it help us in our daily walk? If, if I'm saying this morning we don't need to, to worry about and focus on that last day, that final destination, then why is it in Scripture? And I think I've get, I'm, I'm going to give you about four things this morning. I think that will help us here. And John lays them out for us in his letter to these churches at Asia Minor. So what I want you to do this morning is you think about the, the four ways of focusing on Christ's second coming and how that will help us on our spiritual journey. Remember what we're talking about? We're talking about a destination. We're talking about heading a, a direction in us as Christians knowing what our destination is. This morning I want you to listen to these things. If you don't know your final destination, then I want you to come talk to me. Because we can settle that today. But here's the first thing. That, that knowing our final destination, how it can help us, it can help us walk confidently. If we know our final destination, we know where we're headed, focusing on Christ's second coming helps us continue to walk confidently. Look at verse 28 in 1 John. And now, dear children, continue in him so that when he appears, we may be confident, unashamed before him at his second coming. Now, the the word here, we have three different words I want us to look at. The first is this, continue. We looked last week six different times John wrote, continue, 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 continue. He's writing to this church who has false teachers have came in. They've, they've taken their focus off Jesus Christ. They've begun to focus on other things. And John is reassuring these Christians, you need to continue in your walk. You can need to continue in what I've taught you. You need to continue in what we've seen, that we've been witnesses of. So over and over he says to continue, and that word means to abide, to persevere, to continue, or to persist in something. So he's telling us, Christians, we need to persist, we need to walk confidently, we need to continue in our walk with the Lord, in our journey that we have with the Lord, continue on those things. And that word continue means a deep, intimate relationship between two people. And when we're born-again Christians, we have that deep, intimate relationship between ourselves and between God. Now, he says, continue in these things. There's the first word, that we may have confidence. You know what our confidence is? I want you to think this morning, when we get to our final destination, we're going to stand before God. Think about that. We're going to stand before the creator of the universe. We're going to stand before the giver of eternal life. And we're going to give account. That's what the Bible teaches. And John says this, we need to continue in our walk with Christ so that we may be confident, which means having nothing to fear. It describes a state of boldness or a state of, cur- of courage in the midst of intimidating circumstances. Now think about this. What that word means, if we're in an intimidating circumstance, John says when we continue and we're committed in our walk with Christ, we may be confident, we may be bold and courageous in the midst of an intimidating circumstance. 
If you think about sitting before God the Father and standing before God the Father, would that be intimidating? It could be, couldn't it? But John says this, man, if we'll continue in the faith, we can be confident, having nothing to fear, being bold, being courageous, and unashamed. You know what that word means? We have nothing to hide. That's what that word. So think about this. We're, we're standing before God the Father. And John says to the church, we need to continue in the faith so that we may be confident and that we may be unashamed, having nothing to hide. Now, that, that shame he's talking about is this inner shame. And if, if you uh, think about yourself today, and this is what Satan likes for us to do, is we begin to focus on ourselves and we begin to think about standing before God the Father and we begin to say, you know what? Oh, I'd be so embarrassed to stand before God the Father. You know how God the Father is going to see us as Christians? He's going to see us through the blood of Jesus Christ. You know what the Bible teaches about the blood of Jesus Christ? It teaches that we'll stand before God holy and pure and dressed in white. Isn't that great news? Folks, when we think about that, that's who we are in Christ. We are covered with the blood of Jesus. And we can stand before God the Father and we can stand there boldly and confidently and unashamed because what Christ has done for us on the cross of Calvary. That's an amen this morning. Here's the second thing. It helps us see ourselves accurately. Now, that, I kind of got into that a little bit. When we focus on the end, when we focus on the second coming of Christ, it helps us see ourselves Accurately, when we're focusing on that second coming, we see ourselves actually mentioning the fact that, that we have been born of God. Look in chapter 3, starting in verse 1. How great is the love of the Father, who has lavished on us that we should be called children of God. And that's what we are. Don't you love how John wrote that? I just love that. <laughs> In the, in the other translation, the, the NIV kind of lost something right here because in the other translation, the first word in verse 1 is behold. And that word behold is what John is really saying is stop and think about this just a moment. That's what that word means. So the NIV just left that off and it started with how great. But John is saying this, pause just a minute and think, behold. How great is the love of the Father that He has lavished upon us that we should be called children of God. Just think about that just a minute. Just, just gaze into that just a minute. Just behold that for just a minute. How, how God's love is so great and how we have such a vivid graphic picture of this love that John describes as we are children of God. You know, when we begin to focus on that second coming of Christ, we begin to see ourselves accurately. Folks, I want you to think about this. Do you know God loves you so much that, that He sent His only Son? Yeah, I know John 3.16. I've read that. I've learned it. I, I memorized that years ago. God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. I can spit it out just like that. But do you behold it? Stop and think about 
the love that God has for us. John says this, How great a love. How great a love. Let's look at that all together. Behold, how great this love is. That the Father has lavished upon us that we should be called children of God. And that's what we are. And the reason the world does not know us is that it did not know Him. Now, dear friends, now we are children of God. And what we will be has not yet been made known. But we'll know that when He appears. And we shall be like Him for we shall see him as he is. As you behold that, I want you to think about this name. If we go over to Revelation, and we're not going to go there this morning because of time, but if you go to Revelation, you realize that when we're born again children of God, Revelation tells us that God has a name for us. He has a name for every one of us here that's been born again. Now, why is that significant? Because in the ancient times, when a child, a son, or a daughter was born... It wouldn't officially become part of the family until the father named him or her. So in other words, there's a, there's a child born. This child is not a part of the family until the father called him by his name or called her by her name. And all of a sudden, when the father called their name, they became a part of that family. So as they looked and, and the father saw the child and, and the child was just there and all of a sudden maybe the father said, this child is Moses. And when he named that child Moses, that father called that name and he became a part of the family. Well folks, when God calls us and he calls us by name and we respond to his call of the Holy Spirit, the Bible teaches we become part of his family. And he's given us a name that only God knows. And it's, it's a name for his children. And we're welcome into his family. When we think about that final destination, that helps us realize who we really are. It helps us to understand ourselves accurately. Have y'all heard this story about Charlie Chaplin? It's supposed to be a true story. He entered a Charlie Chaplin look-a-lot contest and got third place. That's supposed to be true. In other words, a, a look-a-lot contest for his own self, he didn't even win it. Now, when we think about ourselves accurately, sometimes we don't look like God's children. We should look like God's children, but, but we tend to, to define ourselves in other ways. We tend to define ourselves by how attractive we are, or by how much money we make, or by how big our office is, or, or by our families, or by our religious acts out in the community, or, or so many different things we, defend, we, we tend to define ourselves by. We may define ourselves by our spouse, or our parents, or our co-workers, or as a student, as a church member, as a... American citizen, but you know what? As God's sons and daughters, that, that far exceeds any other way we define ourselves. Folks, I want you to behold and accurately see yourself as a child of God, as a child of the King who poured His love out upon each of us. How often do we forget that reality that we should define ourselves as a child of the King? I want to ask you this just to think about when folks look at your actions, when they hear your words, 
when you respond to them in situations both good and bad, do they see the Father? Are you the third one in place that they see? Like Charlie Chaplin, they looked at Charlie Chaplin and said, man, you don't even look like him. When, when folks around us see us and hear us and respond to our words and respond to what we say, do we look like the Father? When we think about that final destination, we should be focusing on who we truly are. And we're a child of the King. Amen? Here's the third thing, conducting our lives rightly. You know, when we focus on Christ's second coming... It helps us to conduct our lives rightly. Look there in verse 3 of chapter 3. Everyone who has this hope in him purifies himself just as he is pure. Everyone who sins breaks the law. In fact, sin is lawlessness. But you know that he appeared so that he might take away our sins. And in him there is no sin. And no one who lives in him keeps on sinning, and no one who continues to sin has ever seen him or knows him. Focusing on Christ's second coming, it helps conduct our lives rightfully, in the right way, and righteously. You know, the hope that we have is that Christ transforms our lives. He uses the word here, purify ourselves. Now, you know what that means? This is real easy. Are any of y'all dating if you're a married man, do not raise your hand at this question right here. <laughs> Are any of y'all dating? Oh, you don't have to raise your hand. If you go and you work all day, I, I can use my son as an example, can I? Uh, you know what he does when he gets home from work before he goes out? A long shower. I mean, he will burn 500 gallons of hot water. I don't know how he does it, but, you know, don't get in the shower while he's in the shower. And then he gets out. I'm guessing this. I don't see it, but I smell it. <laughs> he, uh, he puts on deodorant, and he combs his hair, and he puts on his nice clothes. We were Bailey's birthday was this weekend, so he invited us to go to Saltgrass. I think so I'd pay. I'm not really sure why we got invited, but but uh, I was sitting there in my work clothes, and I had on blue jeans and an old green slouchy shirt. He come out of the bathroom in a, a cinch shirt and pressed jeans and a nice ball cap, and he just looked at me. <laughs> and I said, I guess I'm supposed to clean up too, aren't I? <laughs> well, that's a picture of what John is saying here. It's just like cleaning ourselves up before we go out on a date. It's that word purify. And John says that, that we're to look at Christ and, and see the full picture of who Christ wants us to be and we're to work on ridding our character of defects. We're to purify ourselves. We're to shower ourselves. We're to put on the, the righteousness of God. We're to, we're to put on a little deodorant and comb our hair and splash on a little perfume and, and see ourselves and conduct our lives rightly. And John says this, if we're going out and we're going out dirty and we're going into those dirty places and we're going around dirty people and people look at us and say, you know what? You don't look any different than anybody else. You're wallowing in the hog pen right beside everybody else. John says here, this is not my words. He says this, you're breaking the law. The law is sinlessness. If you just continue to sin, no one who continues to sin has ever seen him or even know him. 
But we should purify ourselves. We should work towards bringing ourselves out of that sinful nature. We should work towards bringing ourselves and purifying ourselves, purifying ourselves, clinging ourselves of that old sinful nature. You know how we do that? We don't do it in our own power. We do it through the Holy Spirit of God. And when we submit ourselves to the Holy Spirit of God, just like when you turn that hot water on in the shower and you get in there and that shower begins to cleanse you, when we get ourselves before God and, and His Holy Spirit begins to cleanse us, then through His Holy Spirit, we're purified. We're made clean. And we don't need to be made clean and then go slip right back in the hog trough. We're to be made clean and we're to work towards that because Christ teaches us this. When we are forgiven on that resurrection Sunday, He's taken our sins away. And, and, and according to Psalms 103, it says, He has cast them as far as the east is from the west. God has removed our sins. They have been taken away from us. And folks, when we think about on that final destination, we need to conduct our lives rightly. We need to purify ourselves from all ungodliness. And we need to conduct our lives rightly. Here's the last thing this morning. Overcoming obstacles. When we focus on Christ's second coming, it helps us to overcome obstacles. Look in verse 7. Dear children, do not let anyone lead you astray. What's John been talking about to this church? He's been talking about false leaders, false teachers, those who come among in sheep's clothing. Clothing. He says, don't let anyone lead you astray. He who does what is right is righteous, just as he is righteous. He who does what is sinful is of the devil, because the devil has been sinning from the beginning. And the reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the devil's work. No one born of God will continue to sin because God's seed remains in him and he cannot go on sinning because he has been born of God. That is how we know who are the children of God. Now remember what John's teaching about. He's teaching about false teachers in the church. He's teaching about those who have come in and denied Christ as the Savior. He says this, how we're going to recognize them. How are we going to know if they're children of God? This is how we'll know who the children of God are and, and are those who, who are the children of the devil. Let me back up. No one born of God will continue to sin because God's seed remains in him and he cannot go on sinning because he has been born of God. This is how we know who are the children of God and who are the children of the devil are. Anyone who does not do what is right is not a child of God, nor is anyone who does not love his brother. Now we're going to move on into that next week. But as we think about this, focusing on Christ's second coming helps us under overcome obstacles in our life. If anyone here thinks that they don't have obstacles in their life, you're living a charm life. We want to stay focused on 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 our direction in life. I was thinking about this and I wish I could remember where this was at, but have you ever been on a trip? We were on a trip one time, and there was a, a sign. And if you remember what it was, Connie, you may remember. And it said, so-and-so, 100 miles ahead. And we drove. And it might be Carl's Corner, but I'm not sure. And we drove, and it said, so-and-so, 99 miles ahead. And we drove, and it said, so-and-so, 90. Have you ever seen that? 
I'm talking about for a hundred miles. These signs were, you're, you're, just, you're just 10 miles away. You're just nine miles away. You're just eight miles away. And you know what happened when you went by it? It said you just missed it. You know, well, well we're driving, and we have a destination. But you know what? All I could think about is we're going to get this place. We're, this place has got to be something because for a hundred miles... They've been advertising. This is going to be a great place. You know what those are called? Who knows what those are called? Tourist traps. Somebody said it, just didn't say it very loud. Those are tourist traps, aren't they? Boy, I mean, we was ready. We was ready to get where we were going. But all of a sudden, there was an obstacle on our destination. All of a sudden, there was something that I was thinking, we have got to stop. This has got to be great. We did that one time going to San Antonio. It was a, a snake farm, and I mean, we had to go see that snake farm. Don't be laughing, y'all, and stop at snake farm, too. If you hadn't, don't, because it is a tourist trap. We stopped in there, and I mean, this looked like, I don't remember what we paid. It was a bunch, wasn't it? So, yeah, like $12 a head, you know, and we had three kids. And, and uh, we got in there. And it looked like Ma and Paul Kettle's place. I mean, they had a bunch of old tin cages with stuff caged up. And then they had a big old pit that was full of rattlesnakes. I mean, there was a bunch of them in there. But it was just a pit, and it smelled horrible. <laughs> it, 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 obviously, they never cleaned their rattlesnake pit out. They just would catch another and then drop him in there. And as much as we spent, we didn't enjoy it. It was no use in going and all the anticipation that we built up saying this has got to be it, this has got to be it. You know what it was? It was an obstacle to keep us from our destination. And some clever person said, you know what, I'm going to start, I'm gonna start uh, advertising this, advertising this because it's my goal to get these people off of their destination schedule and to stop into my place. Well, you know what, that's what Satan does, isn't it? Christ says Satan came to destroy everything Christ wants to do. So if we're following Christ and we're moving along and we begin to lose focus on that, that ultimate victory that we're headed for, we begin to lose focus on that final destination, all of a sudden Satan begins to invite us to those tourist traps. In other words, he begins to, to dangle that carrot out there in front of us and says, Hey, I want you to pull off the road here. Because I have something that's going to be so much better than where you're headed. I have something that you're really going to enjoy if you'll just pull off your final destination. You know what it ends up happening? It ends up costing you a bunch. And it ends up leaving you disappointed. That's what a tourist trap is. It ends up costing you too much. And you walk away too disappointed. And folks, when we think about focusing on Christ's second coming... It helps us overcome the obstacles, the schemes, and the attacks that Satan would put before us. So what John is doing, John's calling our attention on the final destination. I want you to do that this morning. That, think about that time when we have victory in Christ. I think I preached on this a few years ago. I think Satan sometimes, he, he makes us believe that, that heaven's not what it's going to be. He makes us think, well, we, things are so much better here because... You don't want to be floating around on some cloud. Well, the Bible doesn't teach that. 
The Bible teaches there's going to be a new heaven and a new earth that we're going to be known as we're known now, that, that we're going to be working the land, that we're going to be working God's creation. That's what the Bible teaches us that heaven is really like. It's a place of new beginnings. It's a place of, of our bodies being restored to what God intended them to be. It's a, it's a great place. That's our, that's our final victory. It's a place where Satan is going to be destroyed. He's going to be unable to oppose anything that God wants and anything God has for his children. It's going to be a place that, that we can come into the presence of our Father, that we can have joy, that we can celebrate, that we can worship one with another. I want to ask you to bow your heads this morning. I want you to think about that final destination. I want you to behold who you are in Christ. God loves you so much that He left the splendor of heaven. He came to this earth to lead us to eternity. It's a journey. It's, it, our Christian life is a journey. There are obstacles. There's illusions. There's so many different things that'll lead us off. But you know what? We need to focus on the fact that Jesus Christ loved you and loved me so much that he laid down his life Boy, that's hard for me to comprehend. I want you this morning, don't think about the person on your right, the person on your left, your child, your wife, your husband, your mother, your father. I want you to think about yourself and know that Jesus Christ loved you. And Jesus Christ loves you. And he wants you to focus on that final destination not what day it's going to be. It might be tomorrow. It might be a thousand years. But you know what? If we die, it's that day. We've reached that final destination. The Bible says it's appointed once for every person to die. And after that, face the Father. But it also says there'll be some that remain alive and they'll be caught up together to be with the Lord in the air. So it doesn't matter whether Christ comes this week, next week, the end of the year, five, ten years, a thousand years, there's going to be a day that we're going to reach the final destination. If it's before Christ returns, it'll be that day we take our last breath. We've reached our destination. When I take my last breath, don't say, well, poor old Jake, poor old Jake. Just say, we know what, he's finally there. He, he reached his destination. I want to ask you, would you focus on the final destination? What is yours? Do you know where you're headed? See, the problem without knowing our final destination, we have no landmarks. We have nothing to show us where we are on our journey. If you don't know your final destination, let's settle it today. Maybe you're hung in a tourist trap. You've kind of forgot. You've, you've, you've got off your map and you need to recalculate. You know what's the great thing about that is Christ says this, if we'll come and confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us, cleanse us from all unrighteousness. <coughs> Spirit would lead you this morning. I want you just to keep your heads bowed. I'm going to ask the instruments to come and the praise team to come. and They're going to sing a song, I Surrender All. All to Jesus I surrender, all to him I freely give. I will ever love and trust him and in his presence 
daily live. I surrender all. This morning, would you stand with me with your heads bowed?